and welcome to this ACE Oncocast. This podcast series is entitled Clinical Insights on the Treatment Algorithm in Unresectable Locally Advanced or Metastatic Urothelial Cancer. My name is Della Feigerman, and I'm delighted to be joined today by a leading expert in urothelial cancer, Dr. Enrique Grande from the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Madrid, Spain. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. In today's ACE Oncocast, our clinical expert will be discussing first-line immunotherapy maintenance strategy, when and how to conduct the maintenance therapy. Dr. Grande, historically, patients who did not have progressive disease after receiving four to six cycles of platinum-based chemotherapy were only offered a watch-and-wait approach without any additional treatment options. However, in recent years, there has been a significant shift in the management of locally advanced or metastatic urothelial cancer particularly with the introduction of maintenance avalumab following induction chemotherapy. Could you please share with us the concept and development of the maintenance treatment strategy? I believe I'm delighted to be here with you, and I want to say hi to all of our attendees today. Um, and, you know, it was extremely frustrating for both the patients and the physicians in the past when we had only chemotherapy platinum-based chemotherapy to offer to our patients with metastatic urothelial carcinoma because we were squeezing out the chemotherapy as much as we could. And the patients was really, were really exhausted about the toxicity of the cumulative dosing of platinum-based chemotherapy. So anemia, thrombocytopenia, and particularly neutropenia and ECOG performance status deterioration, tiredness, a nausea, vomiting, loss of weight was the cumulative toxicity because of the chemotherapy we had. These toxicities were in the clinical practice, making that our practice, in daily practice, we were only able to use in between four, five, or six cycles to the majority of our patients. And then we needed to stop. And then we needed to stop, but not because of the lack of activity of the treatment just because of the cumulative toxicity, because of the deterioration of the quality of life. Once we stopped the chemotherapy because of the toxicity, because we reached the top bar of the maximum number of cycles, we just told the patient, okay, guy, you did a great job, and now we need to wait three months until you repeat the CT scan, and let's see when the tumor is growing up again. It was really frustrating. The patient was disappointed. The physicians were extremely disappointed. And all the relatives surrounding the patients were extremely disappointed. We had nothing to offer. Just watch and wait. Just offered for repeating the CT scan three months later. This is why we needed something else. And this is why we are all very happy with the results of the Javelin Brother 100, in which the possibility to use something Immune oncology drugs, immune checkpoint inhibitors like a Venomab can fill out this field, can fill out this period of time in which the patient finishes the chemotherapy and maintain for a longer period of time the benefit of the response induced by the platinum-based chemotherapy. So this is why, Dilith, we think it is a very good news for patients to have this maintenance strategy in daily clinical practice. Thank you. 
the expanding range of treatment options available in the first line setting has resulted in a diverse array of approaches for maintenance therapy. Could you kindly begin by sharing the specific approach for maintenance treatment following first line induction chemotherapy? The Javelin Bladder 100 was the pivotal registrational phase three trial that gave the approval to Avelumab as a maintenance strategy for our patients with metastatic endothelial carcinoma who did not progress during platinum-based chemotherapy. Both cisplatin and gemcitabine and carboplatin plus gemcitabine regimens were uh, optimal regimens to be followed by maintenance strategy with Avelumab. The main outcome of the Javelin Brother 100 is an impact in overall survival without deterioration of the quality of life. Those patients who were not progressing during induction chemotherapy and who did receive Avelumab as a maintenance treatment, they had a greater overall survival and the toxicity profile versus placebo was extremely good since there were no differences in the quality of life of the patients, which speaks in very good words about how well Avelumab is really tolerated in daily clinical practice. The impact in our consultations in our daily life is extremely important because now our patients have a new options that are impacting into a better survival, better progression-free survival, additional 10% of patients that are responding, you have an additional tumor sinkage in around 10% of the patients with the use of Avelumab, and also all of these things without deteriorating the quality of life of the patients, which had already improved because of the response to the induction chemotherapy we have. So these are very good news for our patients in the practice. With the release of the data from the Checkmate 901 study, ESMO 2023, we now have an additional immunotherapy approach involving first-line chemotherapy and maintenance. Could you kindly provide further details regarding this new approach and share your insights on the distinctions among the different strategies? Overall speaking, the Checkmate 901 trial is, a, let's say, not easy to address this sign of the trial. Because it has like two parts, a main study, nivolumab plus ipilimumab versus chemotherapy in patients eligible and ineligible to receive cisplatin according to Kasky criteria, which we know it was not positive because of a press release in 2022. Unfortunately, we don't have any data about this main part of the Chainmail 901 trial. And what it was presented at the plenary session at the ESMO 2023 in Madrid, and it was also published in New England Journal of Medicine, the trial led by my friend Michelle van der Heyden and colleagues who participated in the, in the trial. Well, now we know that in the subgroup of patients that are eligible to receive cisplatin, according to the GAS criteria, when we added nivolumab to cisplatin and gemcitabine, it was a clear impact in overall survival versus those patients who receive only cisplatin and gemcitabine. The impact in the overall survival was in the range of a hazard ratio of 0.78, which it is good and definitely better than with chemotherapy. However, there are many issues with this trial. The thing is 
what it was the proportion of patients who did receive in the control arm chemotherapy, GMCs, plus abelumab as a maintenance strategy. What it would happen that instead of GMCs only, the comparator arm would have been GMCs plus abelumab. There were found differences in terms of overall survival? Probably not. Another important issue here, what about the progression-free survival differences? Because probably the long-term impact in survival is because of the maintenance part of nivolumab after the patient finished the chemotherapy. We know that the combination of platinum-based chemotherapy and nivolumab or and pembrolizumab or and tesolizumab did not really impact in significant differences overall in terms of responses and clinical significance differences in terms of progression-free survival. Now we need to understand better what is the final position of the checkmate 901 in patients eligible to receive cisplatin and gemcidal. In the same plenary session, other trial, the ev 3 trial with a combination of antibody drug conjugate plus immune oncology drug, it seemed to impact better, much better, than the combination of cisplatin, gemcidabin, and nivol. The final position for this combination is still to be solved. Thank you. How could we optimize maintenance strategy? Definitely, Dilith, we have an issue in daily clinical practice to select those patients that will get the maximum benefit from the maintenance strategy. We have a biomarker. The biomarker is the response to induction chemotherapy. Those patients that they have a complete radiological response or a partial response or at least a stable disease during maintenance four, five, or six cycles of cis-gen or carbogen could be good participants, good options to receive maintenance available. Unfortunately, molecular biomarkers or immunostochemistry biomarkers are not really helping us to identify in advance which will be the patients that will benefit in the better way from this strategy. Unfortunately, if we are not selecting the patients according to this response to chemotherapy, and when we try to combine chemotherapy based on platinum plus immunology drugs without any patient selection, we have the data from the Kino361 and the Invigo130 trial telling us that at least Pembro and Atesolizumab in combination with platinum-based chemotherapy are not really impacting clinically speaking, in the outcome of our patients. This is true, as we mentioned before, that the data from the Checkmate 901 in patients eligible to receive cisplatin treated with emcyabine and cisplatin plus nivolumab are impacting in overall survival. Has a ratio is modest, 0.78, and there was also a small increase in the percentage of patients responding particularly with a complete radiological response. But the question here is, these complete radiological responders are really long-lasting responders? We still need a longer follow-up of the Checkmate 901 trial to see 
if we can try to use this strategy, the combination chemo plus immunotherapy strategy in daily practice. I think honestly that the benefit in the long term overall survival from the segment 901 is mainly coming from the maintenance part of nivolumab. Those patients who were treated in the checkmate 901 started cisplatin the enzyme and nivolumab in a combination. And when they finish the chemotherapy after four, five, six cycles, depending on the toxicity, the patients were able to maintain nivolumab. Probably this maintenance immune oncology strategy is the one leading for the overall survival improvement. We can try to maximize, we can try to, well, try to get a maximum benefit from the maintenance strategy by diminishing the number of cycles of chemotherapy as induction. Probably two, maybe three cycles are enough to get this initial response of the tumor, to get this initial control of the symptoms because of the size of the tumor. Probably in the first couple of cycles, maybe three cycles, no more than four cycles, you know who will be the patients that are really responding to platinum-based chemotherapy. And those are the ones that are benefiting longer from receiving available. This is the scientific background behind the design of the DISCUS trial. The DISCUS trial is one of the most innovative trials, potentially practice changing if positive, in which patients with metastatic endothelial carcinoma who did not receive any prior chemotherapy to the metastatic stage are randomized to receive chemotherapy based on platinum, cisplatin, carboplatin, according to the investigator, followed by available. The thing is, how many cycles of chemotherapy we are giving, and patients are randomized to receive three versus six cycles, followed by available maintenance in both arms of the treatment. What it, it is the endpoint, the primary endpoint considered in the discus trial, the quality of life. When the quality of life is assessed, the primary endpoint is the quality of life three versus six cycles of chemo followed by available maintenance on day one of the potential cycle six. What do we want to see at the discus trial? We want to see no deterioration in the long-term overall survival of the patients, but an improvement in the quality of life of the patients because of the reduction of the number of cycles of chemotherapy as induction that are needed before the treatment with Avelumab as a maintenance strategy. Other combinations, I'm talking about the javelin medley trial in which Avelumab is combined with tyrosine kinase inhibitors or antibody drug conjugates or other immune oncology drugs are ongoing. Let's see what it happens. We still need to learn a lot about the how to select the best treatment options for our patients with metastatic erothelial carcinoma. Apparently, there are many treatment options in the first-line setting. How do you select the optimal strategy in clinical practice? Dear Delith, this is a very nice question and probably the most challenging one that we have today in the field of metastatic erothelial carcinoma. Now, with the new data from the EV3 or 2 trial, 
in which the combination of enfortumab with OTIT plus pembrolizumab is better than chemotherapy in terms of overall survival, response rate, progression-free survival? Well, it, it seems it is easy to address this question. Enfortumab with OTIT plus pembrolizumab will probably become the standard of care. However, we have a lot of issues trying to translate this data into daily clinical practice. The first, and probably the most important barrier that can limit the possibility of our patients to receive this combination is about, or it is related to the financial toxicity. Who can really afford this combination, fortumabedotin plus pembrolizumab? Not only talking about the patients, but talking about the stakeholders, the payers, governments, national health systems. This is really, really impacting in the budget of our societies. Second thing, toxicity. Enfortumabedotin and pembrolizumab definitely has limiting toxicities, including particularly neurotoxicity and also hyperglycemia and also neutropenia and dermatological skin toxicity. Those patients, particularly diabetic patients, in which they have neurotoxicity because of the diabetes, they have glucose elevated in the, in the blood because of the diabetes, and they have also alterations in the skin because of the diabetes. Well, probably they are not the best candidate to receive these new combinations. I don't know in your countries, but in a country like Spain, around 20 to 30% of the patients above 70, 75 years old, the median age in which metastatic urothelial carcinoma is diagnosed, they have diagnosed or underdiagnosed diabetes. So probably we need to clinically select which are the patients that can benefit from new strategies, new combinations in this field. On top of that, can we have any biomarker that may help us to identify patients that will benefit more from these new combos? Unfortunately, we don't have any biomarker, at least with the data reported so far. But it seems that regardless the PDL1 expression, regardless, uh, I don't know, enacting 4 expression, we still need to know more about what potential molecular biomarkers may help us in the future to identify this space. In absence of this biomarker, the better biomarker that we have today for a novel targeted agent is the response to chemo, the response to platinum-based chemo. And only those patients responding to platinum-based chemo are the better biomarker to receive Abelumab as a maintenance treatment. So we still need to know better about the patient profile we can treat with in the next few years. What about the traditional Gansky criteria that we all were using to identify patients to be treated with cisplatin or carboplatin in daily practice? And is still Gansky criteria valid to identify patients eligible to receive enfortumabedotin and pembrolizumab? Or do we need to create another criteria to, well, to try to see the eligibility to receive him for the Mabedotic?
a lot of debate is out there. And unfortunately, the follow-up of the AB302 trial and other trials in the first line setting are still need to mature. This is definitely a good challenge that we need to face shortly. Thank you, Dr. Brando, for your valuable insights. We greatly appreciate your expert guidance on the first line immunotherapy maintenance strategy. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for next week's podcast as we discuss the second line treatment decision making. Thank you.